What are we waiting for? It's out of here! Kick is away. And the kick is... It's good! And the Eagles win! He's in, baby! We are going, baby! Oh, my God! Deep to right field! Way up there! And way out of here! going on guys in an edition of the connor and mark show alongside mark rogers i'm connor gabe very special guest today his name is mike sealski he is a columnist for the philadelphia inquirer uh it covers really the eagles and the flyers you can follow him on twitter at mike sealski mike thanks so much for hopping on today how you doing doing well guys thanks for having me doing good and and mike really it's the three-year anniversary of the of the eagles winning their first ever super bowl and and you would think that um you know, it'll be all fine and dandy three years later, but we we don't have the coach here anymore. And it looks like Wentz maybe out on the door with a report that came out today with Mike Garofalo and Ian Rappaport saying that the Eagles are now listening to offers for Carson Wentz. Uh, this whole dilemma has really taken a turn in this offseason and during the year with his play and obviously. But uh, where do you think this is going and what have you heard on the front with Carson Wentz of uh, the likelihood that he's going to be an Eagle starting in 2021? You know, uh, the last day of the season when they played Washington on that Sunday night um, and Chris Mortensen came out with that story that, that the relationship between Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz was irreparably damaged. I wrote that night that they had to trade Wentz. Um, not, not just because, I mean, that, that was kind of the last straw, it seemed to me. Um, and I wrote that not thinking that they would fire Doug Peterson. Um, I was kind of naive at the time thinking, well, you have a Super Bowl winning coach. You have a quarterback who doesn't want to play for that coach. So therefore you got to trade the quarterback because he doesn't want to be here anymore. Well, they took the the cheap or less expensive way out and they fired the coach and which made sense. You know, usually the franchise quarterback um, holds all the cards. Well, the problem now is that that franchise quarterback, even as poorly as Wentz played this past season still holds all the cards. And if he doesn't want to be here, um, then they're going to have to move him. And, I've seen nothing to indicate at all that he wants to continue being the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. If he wanted to, he would come out and say that it would be very easy. He's taken a lot of criticism since the season ended, you know, over the the final four weeks of the season. Um, We've heard nothing from him. Uh, It would be very easy for him to come out and say, Hey, listen, I'm recommitted to the the franchise. I want to be here. Um, We have not heard that, but we have heard from the various, usual NFL kind of intermediaries between um, players and teams and, and fans, people like Mike Garofalo and Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen is that Wentz doesn't want to be with the Eagles anymore. Um, so I'm afraid that despite the sizable salary cap hit, um, they're going to end up trading him, I think. Yeah. And, and sorry about that, Mike, I was having a little technical difficulties, but, you know, diving in and, and staying with the Eagles there, what do you think of this current power structure of the Philadelphia Eagles and how do you see them really, um, you know, impacting future events and even decision-making? Well, their power structure is very clear. Um, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman have it, whoever their coach is doesn't. And, Nick Sirianni or Doug Peterson or anybody else in the future who's going to be a, the Eagles head coach during Jeffrey Lurie's ownership tenure uh, has to reconcile himself to that fact. I mean, that was part of the reason, not all of it, but part of it, that Doug is no longer the coach is that he didn't like being told who his assistants could be. Um, you know, not just this year with respect to protecting Press Taylor as the quarterback's coach or the offensive, quasi-offensive coordinator, however you want to describe him, 
But going back to last year, when Mike Groh and Carson Walsh were told, you know, get the hell out of here. Now, this is a very common thing in the NFL. Remember, Bill Belichick had wanted to move on from Tom Brady, you know, before they even met up with the Eagles in the Super Bowl. And Bob Kraft told him, no, that we're not getting rid of Brady. You got to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's what Belichick did. And it worked out because Tom Brady is Tom Brady and the Patriots were the Patriots and Belichick is Belichick. And they end up going to the Super Bowl, you know, for three straight years, winning two of them. Um, the Eagles are not the Patriots as much as they like to fancy themselves that way. And, um, you know, if to ask about the power structure, they tried it a different way one year. They gave Chip Kelly one year to try to make it work. And since Chip Kelly, you know, failed to the degree that they went six and nine and had to play Mark Sanchez, a quarterback, for a quarter of the season, um, Chip Kelly got fired. And that's not the way Jeffrey Leary wants to do things. He and Howie Roseman want to have their finger on the pulse of the team, and they want a coach who goes along with them. Um, so that's what you got in Doug Peterson. That's what you're getting in Nick Sirianni. And that's what everybody su should suspect, uh, expect, whether Sirianni works out here or not. You know, and the biggest thing I think with Howie Roseman, he's always been known as a cap wizard and and really he's been able to move over his way out of situations with the cap um, for the previous seasons. But what, they're really entering uncharted territory with the cap hit that they're carrying with Wentz and other players and veterans they have on the team. Uh, besides Carson Wentz and, and maybe a trade down the line with him, what kind of moves do you think they can make this offseason with veteran guys like Zach Ertz or maybe a Fletcher Cox uh, that could really help this team moving forward with a, with a cap situation? Well, you've seen the last of Alshon Jeffrey, for instance, um, and I think you've probably seen the last of Zach Ertz uh, in an Eagles uniform. I would be surprised. Zach, at the end of the season, seemed to know that his tenure with the team was coming to an end. Um, there's usually s some surprises when it comes to the Eagles and saying goodbye to certain players. Um, so, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to speculate now on who, what those surprises might be, um, but they're going to have to get younger. They have to get cheaper. They are, they are in a rough cap situation. It's been hurt by the fact that they haven't drafted well in recent years and they haven't been able to make that transition from the way they built the team that won the Super Bowl to one that was going to sustain excellence once they paid Carson Wentz. Even if you take um, Wentz's regression this past year out of this, out of the equation, um, they don't have enough talent around him. He's not the only problem. Um, you know, they went one and three with Jalen Hurts too. It's not like Hurts got in there and, you know, was surrounded by so much skill position, talent, and so much depth in the offensive line that the, the offense just started clicking immediately. I mean, they really weren't much better with Hurts than they were with Wentz. So um, the problems go beyond just the quarterback position. And they're going to have to figure out, I think, you know, this year in particular, whether some of these guys who they drafted in the last couple of years can actually play or whether they're going to have to face some hard, cold facts about, you know, how they evaluate talent, um, how they, you know, the bases they use to pick guys. I mean, look, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl guys, but look at these two teams. They are just stacked with talent, particularly the Chiefs. But look at the Buccaneers wide receivers. Um, you know, look at the, the, the Buccaneers defense. Um, these are guys who can all play and, and play at a level that the Eagles just don't have right now. Yeah, and, and kind of piggybacking off your point there, Mike, do you think uh, Sirianni has the ability to fix Carson Wentz and as well as reach some of this untapped potential from some of these younger players such as, you know, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, uh, Singleton, Sweat, and, and a bunch of other guys? You know, I, I don't know, Mark. Um, 
you know, I mean, he's coming out of a situation in Indianapolis that in some sense is encouraging. If you look at it, what, three different quarterbacks in three years, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, um, and they played well for him. Now, two of those guys, you know, Phillip Rivers is a borderline Hall of Famer, if not an outright Hall of Famer. And Andrew Luck probably would have been one if he hadn't retired because of all those injuries. Um, you know, so I don't know. Like, I was pleasantly surprised when Doug came aboard at how he called a game and, and what he extracted out of Wentz, and in particular what he and Reich and John Filippo extracted out of Nick Foles at the end of that 2017 season. Um, I think we're learning more and more three years after that Super Bowl that the real genius of that year was the two weeks between the end of that regular season and the beginning of the playoffs where the Eagles kind of revamped their offense, you know, changed it so that it would accommodate Foles' strength um, and then went ahead and tore through the Vikings and the Patriots um, because neither of those teams had any film on the offense that the Eagles were running now that Nick Foles was there. So um, to answer your question, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows whether Nick Sirianni is the guy to fix Carson Wentz. Um, you know, a lot of this I think is going to just come down to Wentz, regardless of Sirianni, Doug Peterson, whatever the case may be. Um, he's got to look inside himself and ask himself, like, what do I need to do to get better? Um, because by all indications, he hasn't been doing that very often. Yeah, Mike, there's gonna be a lot of important dates this all season for the Eagles to be looking forward to, but the, the draft in April is obviously gonna be the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, for Eagles fans to be looked at, and they're gonna be picking six in the NFL draft. What guys are you looking at uh, in that six spot that you think is most most realistic for Howie and Jeffrey Lurie to be looking at? And and also, do you think there is a chance if Carson Wentz, Wentz is moved that they could be looking at a quarterback like a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields if he does fall to six? Yes, I think there's. I think if they move Wentz, they will absolutely look at a quarterback at six. I think they might look at a quarterback anyway, given that they fancy themselves a quarterback factory. Um, you know, and and in lieu of that, I mean, I think I think their their entire calculus to some extent has changed here because of the Wentz situa- situation. If Wentz isn't on the team come the draft, then yeah, you better look at a quarterback because there's no, there really isn't very much evidence here that Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback. I mean, he was better than Wentz, but that's damning with faint praise. Um, you know, in terms of what they're going to do with that pick, I don't know. I mean, at this time in the 2016 offseason, nobody had any idea that the Eagles were going to jump up from, you know, whatever they had, the 13th overall pick to the number two overall pick to get Wentz. Um, I'm sure they're crunching number, you know, crunching tape and looking at everybody now. Was it around this time, as I said, in 2016, that they decided Carson Wentz is our guy and we've got to do whatever we have to do to go get him. And then, of course, they justified that pick with the ridiculous assertion by Howie Roseman that, uh, oh, yeah, well, we didn't feel like there were any franchise quarterbacks ahead in the, in the subsequent years of the draft. And, of course, the following year, Andy Reid traded up to get Patrick Mahomes with the 10th overall pick, who is only the best player in the league. Yeah, and uh, now moving into the Flyers, and, and this, you know, this season has been – you know, up up and down with the defense and, and um, you know, the goaltending and the offense. What would be your assessment of this Flyers team and how they performed um, through the first 10 games or so here? If there's a way for them to add a veteran defenseman, uh, preferably on the cheap, uh, I think they ought to do it. They seem to have an awful t- difficult time getting out of their own zone. Um, if you saw the game last night against the Bruins, that was a major factor throughout the first half of the game. I think they're deep up front. I, I just I expected more of this defensive core, um, particularly from guys like Travis Sanheim and even last night, Phil Myers. You watch the, the uh, Pasternak's game-tying goal there with 15 seconds left. 
Phil Myers is just standing in front of the Flyers net looking for the puck um, instead of taking the closest man to him, who's David Pasternak, probably the NHL's top goal, you know, best goal scorer, most talented goal scorer. So um, I expected a little more. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed in the progress of their young defensemen, and I think they probably need to add somebody. Um, but in terms of depth up front, I think once Couturier comes back, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. You know, Joel Farabee has been excellent. Um, you know, Jake Voracek has been playing very well offensively. Uh, so I, I think they'll be all right. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to pass any kind of judgment on them yet. But if it were the one thing, if you had asked me before the season, I would have said they got to get another goal scorer if there was a way for them to do it. Now I think that the need for a veteran defenseman of some kind has kind of surpassed that. What do you make of the uh, Travis Konecki benching? I know Levignol was trying to set a precedent of, you know, it doesn't really matter what kind of player that you are, how talented you are on the roster. If you're not, you know, playing up to your standard, uh, you know, anybody can be benched. And and really, what do you make of Travis Konecki's play so far and other guys, um, you know, like obviously Voracek's have a really good season so far and, and JVR has been really surprising with the season he had last year. So what do you make of obviously Levignol uh, benching Konecki and, and other veterans who've been stepping up so far this season? Well, I mean, I, I think this is what Vigneault does, and he has a, credit, a measure of credibility that, that his predecessors as head coach didn't have. I mean, Dave Haxtell, you know, was going to be more inclined to bench a younger player than a veteran player. Um, you know, Vigneault has done both. Vigneault has demoted, Claude, you know, Jake Voracek. He did it last season. He's demoted James Van Riemsdyk, scratched him in the playoffs last year. Um, he's not afraid to do what he thinks he needs to do um, to motivate a guy to play better. Um, and it doesn't matter if that guy's track record because everybody on this team's track record <laughs> is lesser than Elaine Vigneault's. I mean, it's just the way it is. And it wasn't that way with Dave Haxtall or Scott Gordon or even Craig Berube before that. Um, Berube, remember, hadn't won a Stanley Cup. So I don't make of it much more than that. And then, then Konechny has been an excellent offensive player and is an excellent offensive player. But Vigneault wants him to play a 200-foot game. And, and that gets back to what we were just talking about is – as much trouble as the defensemen have had, part of getting the puck out of the zone is forwards who are willing to play that 200-foot game, to come back and lend support in the back check. And, um, you know, they have some guys in Konechny and Voracek and Van Riemsdyk who aren't exactly known as that. You know, I mean, Couturier is probably the, you know, the best or, or among the best two-way forwards in the league. And Giroux is as well. Um, but the other guys aren't. And so anytime Vigneault gets a chance to send a message like that, like, hey, you guys got to play at both ends of the ice, he's going to take it. Yeah, and um, in, in interesting, um, you know, stat or, or celebration, I guess you could say yesterday for Giroux was his 900th NHL uh, game. Uh, what would you say is – He's going to be here in Philadelphia. Obviously, hasn't been to the Cubs since to enhance his legacy um, as a Flyers captain and, and possibly as a Flyers great. I think you were asking me about Claude Giroux. Um, you, you were kind of yeah, garbled you... there, Mark. But yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I think you're asking me about his tenure as a captain. And um, look, he's been a terrific player for a long time. Um, and you can make an argument that you know, he, he was kind of a captain at a rough time in the franchise's history in that they went through a five-year rebuilding period uh, in the middle of his tenure. And even before they really started rebuilding, um, they were making some really bad decisions about how to build a roster and where they were spending money and how to go for it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but 
and, and so I have a lot of respect for Giroux as a player. You know, there are times where he's been absolutely terrific. You look at the playoff resume, though, and I think there is something to be said for the fact that he's, you know, with the exception of that series against the Penguins back in 2012, which was the hockey equivalent of watching the Golden State Warriors and Brooklyn Nets <laughs> play, you know, basketball, basically. Um, you know, if you could shoot a three-pointer in hockey, the Penguins and Flyers were shooting threes in that series. Uh, and Drew had an incredible offensive series, with the exception of that series. He has not been a productive offensive player in the postseason ever since. Um, some of that is his size. Some of that is the nature of his game. Some of that is, at times, his injuries and conditioning and things like that. But I think that factors into how you have to evaluate him as well. Um, you know, and he's not I, – I, I take a lot of flack from Flyers fans for, write, for having written this, but I think it's true. You know, he's a very hard worker and he's a very good player. But I don't think he's a particularly inspirational player which is to say that he's not a particularly outspoken guy. Um, you know, again, with the exception of scoring that goal in the first shift against Sidney Crosby back in 2012, you know, there, there aren't too many examples that you can think of where he puts his team on his back and, and that the, the team um, plays above its expectations or has played above his expectations while he's been here. So, you know, it's kind of, I know that sounds kind of mixed, like I'm hemming and hawing, um, but Drew's had a kind of complex career since he's been with the Flyers. It's, they haven't put a, you know, a decent team around him and he has not been uh, the dominant player that you need a, a player like that to be, if you're going to give him that kind of contract. Um, I think that's true of both him and Voracek. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I know um, you brought up when you look back and, and when when careers, uh, Drew's career is all said and done, you'll see in the record book that he'll be up there with the likes of, you know, Bill Barber, Bobby Clark, obviously. But I don't think he holds the, you know, the franchise face as like uh, Eric Lindros per se as that that type of dominant number one guy uh, like you see with a Crosby or an Ovechkin. But uh, kind of segueing into our final you know, our question here and really appreciate you coming on again is the Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, between the Buccaneers and the Chiefs, uh, Andy Reid obviously going for his second back-to-back Super Bowl, and Tom Brady obviously going for his seventh. He's been dominant in his career. W- what way are you leaning? And how do you think this game's going to play out between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers? I mean, if Mahomes plays the whole game, the Chiefs will win. I mean, you know, I, I wish there was something more complex than that, but I don't think there is. Um, I mean, I think the only way that the Buccaneers are going to win is if this gets to be – you know, a 44, 43 game where these teams, you know, it's the, it's, it's the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl all over again, except this time Tom Brady is the underdog. He's Nick Foles. Um, and Patrick Mahomes becomes Tom Brady. Um, you know, the, the, it's not a coincidence that the chiefs only beat the the Browns 22, 17 and Mahomes was out of the game in the third quarter. Um, if he stays in the game, they're going to be really hard to beat. Uh, and I, I think, you know, you're looking at a situation where Andy Reid is going to vault himself into the, you know, amongst the, the five greatest coaches of, in pro football history because he's going to have won back-to-back Super Bowls, won a ton of games, done it with two franchises. Um, boy, you want to start a good dis- discussion topic, guys. You know, ask ask your friends, should the Eagles have fired Andy Reid back in 2012 um, because he's been the best coach in the NFL ever since. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting game Sunday. Mike, we really appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on today and talking about Flyers and Eagles and, and the Super Bowl this Sunday, and hopefully we can do it again sometime down the line. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks.